evening. Uh, we are very thankful to be here with the church. And I thank the pastor for giving us this opportunity because my son has been sharing for the past uh, year that he likes this church very much and especially the preaching of the word of God. And it's uh, quite amazing because he is 9,000 miles away from home. And this is the first time we send him out of the home. And uh, when he got the visa, I said, Lord, I'm entrusting him to you, and it is you who have to take care of him. And God has really uh, took care of him for the past three years at Cedarville. And uh, right now, in his, he's in his junior year in computer science engineering, uh, in computer science at Cedarville. And uh, his brother, Aviel, he's also right now, he's in 12th grade. So, Lord willing, he's looking to join Cedarville next fall. So, I think you pray for this, both the boys, and uh, I especially thank the pastor and uh, for the home church that you have been for Manuel, and I definitely appreciate that. And uh, being a pastor myself, and I would like my son, and Lord willing, if my younger one also comes here, that both of them may grow in the Lord and fulfill God's will for their lives. Uh, they, both of them, they are uh, born again and they have been used in the ministry for the past few years in India. And now, because of God's call on their lives, they came this far and I don't know what the future holds for them, but I definitely believe that God will definitely take care of them. I came to know the Lord in the year 1993 and I did my civil engineering back in India. I did not have any idea that God is calling me for the ministry. So I worked as a civil engineer for four years and I had my own business of building constructions. One day when I was doing my quiet time, I came through the book of Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 where it says that Ezra determined in his heart that he would study the word, observe the same, and teach to his people. When I was meditating on that particular verse, the Lord was speaking to me, and I began to realize that God was calling me for the full-time ministry. So a few days after, when I was meditating on that particular verse, and I began to think, and the Lord was confirming his will, at that time I was not even married. I was just a young man, of about 25 years old, not yet married, nor know what the future is, but I definitely understood the call of God on my life. So I went and told my employer that I'm going to quit my job. He looked at me and he said, are you mad? What about your future? I said, I don't know at this point of time, but I know that God has something for my life. And I came home and I told my dad, that God is calling me for the full-time ministry. My dad, he said like this, because back in Indian culture, the sons, they stay with the parents and all the property of the parents, it goes to the son. And my dad, he said like this, if you want to stay with me, I'll give all my property to you. Because he was a president of a government college where he taught organic chemistry. And he has his own property in the city. 
But if you want to go for the ministry, you are on your own. He disowned me. So back in the year 2001, I don't know what my future is. I to play the guitar, by the way. So I had one guitar in my hand and I had probably $50 pocket money. And I did not know what my future was, how I'm going to get married. Nothing I knew. I stepped out of the house by faith, trusting that the Lord will take care. And by God's grace, it has been 23 years. And the Lord has definitely took care of our family and the ministry. Even in 2002, I got married. Back, back in India, it is the parents who arranged the marriage. But my dad was not happy because he wanted some dowry. Because back in Indian culture, the parents of the girl, they pay the money for the parents of the boy. I said, I don't want to take the dowry because it is against God's word. It is only a cultural thing. And he said, if you don't agree for the dowry, I don't agree for your marriage. He said, if I don't agree, you know how it is difficult for you to get married. And one day, I made a commitment before the Lord. Lord, even if I don't get married, I will stay like that, but I will never compromise on your word. By God's grace, my father-in-law, when we told him about the situation, he said, I would stand with you. And my dad, he did not come to my marriage. He first time saw my wife and my son, Manuel, for his first birthday. So he was so much mad at us. So by God's grace, in 2002, we got married. Me and my wife, we saw each other on Sunday, and Thursday was our wedding. So we began to know each other after marriage. It's not before marriage. So it was also by faith. So all my life, I have learned how to trust God by faith. And it's quite amazing to see the journey. And then we worked for five years among the university students. And then I came to the U.S. back in the year 2006. Uh, I studied at Piedmont Baptist College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's quite amazing. I did not have the money to come here or even pay the fee. One pastor, he asked me, how you are going to survive? I said, it may sound crazy, but it is God who gave me this opportunity and it is his responsibility to take care of me. And it's quite amazing. I did my master's. I did my PhD. I did not know how I survived, how I paid. I was never into debt in the college. It's really God's grace. So back in the year 2009, we were praying about the ministry, what about the future, what God wants us to do. So then as we were praying, God has enabled us to buy a small piece of land back in India. It is about 300 square yards. So in 2009, because I was a civil engineer, I put a three-story building because back in India, land is very valuable. So we build the floors. So this was the picture actually I put and we started to pray. One man, he said like this, Jacob, you are putting the horse before the cart. 
because you don't have a church, you don't have a congregation, but you are praying for a building. What if nobody comes to your church? I said, I don't know. This is how God is leading me. So it's quite amazing. 2012 was my day of graduation. And in 2011, January, early in the morning, I received a phone call from our mission board director. He said, Jacob, are you sitting or are you standing? I said, what is this question? What does it mean? He said like this, just now we received an anonymous gift of $100,000 to your ministry. Isn't it amazing? So 2011, we got that gift. In 2011, November, we started the constructing of the church back in India. See, I did not see the land. I did not see the building. When we went in 2012, May, we got to see the land and the building together. Can you imagine? So in 2012, when we went back, this is the building that we saw with our eyes. And in 2012, July 1st, we started our service. First service, all the four of us. And we did not know how God is going to do. And it's quite amazing. Since 2012, this year, we celebrated our 11th anniversary. And in the 11 years, God has really blessed the ministry so much that right now we are having like four services on a Sunday. We have like three churches. So I get to preach three times every Sunday and it is like one hour sermons every Sunday. So I, I preach early in the morning at eight o'clock and then drive 20 miles and preach in another service and then come back and preach in the evening. And it's quite amazing to see how the church has grew Right now, like through the Grace Baptist Church in India, we have more than 170 families. And these are spread out into 10 different states and four different countries. In the 10 years, that's how God has really enhanced our ministry. And I know that definitely there are so many pictures for you to see, but just you can just scan through them. And this is how the ministry, it grew over a period of time. We started in 2012, and by 2016, we ran out of the space. And then we prayed for adjacent land, and then we bought another uh, 300 square yards of adjacent land. And then we put a building, and in 2016, we uh, expanded the church. So this was the adjacent land that we bought, and then we dedicated, and then we started to build the building, and now we joined two buildings. So by 2016, entire first floor was the church. And then in the second floor, we had uh, the facility for Bible college. So that's how the ministry has grew over a period of time. And we conducted several gospel evenings. And every year, uh, we have the uh, Christmas program exclusively for Hindu families. And not only that, every month, uh, we as a church, we grow, go into the streets. So we distribute the tracts, we sing the songs, and then we preach the gospel on the street corners. And through all this, as you see in the pictures, many people, they came to know the Lord in the past 10 years, and they got baptized 
uh, and uh, they are right now uh, members of our church. So by 2019, this is the entire facility. So in the ground floor, that means first floor for you, we are staying there. And then the second floor would be the church and the third floor would be the Bible college. So we started also the Bible college. We have eight students right on our campus. Now these are not the students who are studying for a college degree. These are the students who have the calling of God on their lives for the full-time ministry. So they will stay on the campus and uh, everything is supplied free for them. Food is free, their accommodation is free, and the teaching is free. So for this, uh, we need additional $1,000 in order to support uh, that ministry of the Bible College. So I request the church to pray for this need, and as God enables uh, that you may partner with us in this cause of reaching India with the gospel. Because India is a huge country. We have 1.2 billion people. And in the city where we are working, we have 1.8 million people. So, so much work has to be done. So, in 2017, this is our first branches that we have built. So, people used to come from 20 miles away to this facility. So, then we said, instead of you coming for the fellowship, let us come there for evangelism. So, we wanted to build a church there so that we can reach that community. So in 2017, this is the first branch church that we have built. And in 2021, even during COVID, God has enabled us to build another branch church. So we dedicated this church during the COVID in 2021. And it has been like this November. It is two years since we started this church. And right now we have more than 70 people attending this church. And not only that, we also have the book ministry. So all the sermons that I have teached over the period of time, our church members, they are writing those sermons so that we are trying to publish them as booklets online in our mother tongue. You have many books in English, but we don't have many books in our mother tongue. So one of our concern is we want to take the gospel in our mother tongue because in our state alone, we have about 7 million people who speak Telugu, which is our mother tongue. So growing up, we grew learning multiple languages. So I know three languages. And then after I came to the Bible college, I studied additional Hebrew and Greek. So it's quite amazing to have all these languages so that we can reach our people. And not only that, by God's grace, whatever the support that we have been receiving, we are also investing in order to enhance the ministry. By God's grace, all the three churches that we have started in these 11 years are self-supporting. So whatever the support that we are receiving from here, as well as church in India, we started to do the missions work. So as you support missionaries here, we also support our own people who are working in different parts of the country. Right now, our church is supporting about 100 pastors every month. And these 100 pastors are spread everywhere. And not only that, in the year 2009, I formulated a vision, Vision 2025. 
we were praying for that vision. Lord, by 2025, we want 250 churches to be built across India. And by God's grace, in these 11 years, God has enabled us to build 45 churches across India. So it is nothing but the grace of God. So what happens is, because the churches, many of the village churches, because the pastors are poor, they are able to build the church to some extent. So we select those churches and then we complete. So if it is a church to be built uh, with asbestos sheet roofing, then we complete it with $1,000. But if it is a church which requires reinforced cement concrete, we raise about $3,000 to put the roof and complete the church. So in the past 11 years, we, we tried to raise the support for these churches in different parts, and he enabled us to build 45 churches across India. And these are some of the pictures of the churches that we built over a period of time. So by God's grace, the church, it started, the church, it grew, and the church, it expanded. So right now, the reason why we came here is all the 600 square yards that we built is full right now. So that's the reason why we are having two services at our main church. So these are the pictures of our missionaries, the 100 pastors whom we are supporting. And by the way, during COVID time, God has enabled us to do a lot of relief work. Uh, we, we could distribute food to so many people during that time because of the help of the churches here in the United States. We used to prepare food for 800 people, 900 people and serve it on the streets, pack lunches. And not only that, uh, many families, we used to buy the groceries for one month, uh, and then we used to pay them. Uh, we used to uh, give the groceries to them. And not only that, every year for Christmas, it is a very big project for us. We give clothes to all the pastors that we are supporting. So we have been doing that for the past five years. So all the 100 pastors and their wives. So as a Christmas gift and for their ministry to encourage them, we have been giving the clothes to them. And these are some of the pictures of the clothes that we have distributed to the pastors. And not only that, we are also supporting an orphanage. Uh, I don't have the vision for the orphanage, but I would like to support the ministry, what the other persons are doing. That's where we partner with them. So we have been supporting this orphanage where there are about 20 girls. So we buy groceries from time to time. And not only that, we buy clothes for Christmas. And then we buy books during the academic year. And these are the pictures of, and uh, these are like about 70 children who are in the state of Orissa. And uh, these are the children whose parents are lost in the persecution in the state of Orissa. So we try to support them on a regular basis. So that is how the ministry, uh, back in 2001, I did not know the future. But now when I look back, it is a confirmation that we stand by faith. God will enable us to do whatever he wants to do. So the reason for our visit here is there are certain needs. As I said, this is the Bible college that we started. And right now we have about eight students 
and we are requiring an additional monthly support of $1,000 in order to run this Bible college. And not only that, as I said, there is an adjacent land that we would like to buy in order to extend the church. Uh, back in India, the land is very expensive. So for 600 square yards to buy, we need at least $300,000. So please pray that the Lord will provide the money to buy that land. And not only that, where we started the branch church, the first branch church, we already bought the land and we put the church there. But for the second branch church, we are renting a hall. We pay about $600 every month as a rent because that church is right within the city. So please pray that God will enable us to buy a small piece of land, about 300 square yards, in order to build the church. So there for the 300 square yards, it requires about $90,000. So I know the needs are great, the needs are huge, but we are serving a God of impossibilities. So that's what we have experienced in our life, and we are looking forward to what God is going to do even into the future. So please pray for my wife, my family, and we have been married for uh, 21 years. So whatever that we are doing in the ministry, it is we are both doing together. And that's how God has uh, blessed our family and blessed the kids. And I request you to pray even for my elder, Manuel. So next year he'll be completing his... Uh, bachelors and is looking he will be looking for a job and please pray for his future and abiel as he's finishing his 12th grade and next year he will be entering the college so please pray for our family and probably this evening for us less time that i have about 20 minutes you said 7 30 no pastor <laughs> yeah because indians are known to speak long but that's fine um, this evening, I wanted to share a few thoughts from Psalm 30. I know my language and my pronunciation is hard for you to understand. So I put a notes for the PowerPoint so that you can follow the notes as I preach. If you turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 30, we know this verse very much. And uh, I want you to understand certain facts from this verse. Psalm 30, verse 5. It says like this, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. These days, we are living in the days where Christianity is understood in two extremities. In one extremity, the prosperity is so much emphasized. Where Christian life, we think, the life with God is a life of prosperity. And on the other hand, we go to the other extreme to think that Christian life is a life of suffering. So on one hand, we think life, Christian life is a life of prosperity. On the other hand, we think Christian life is a life of suffering. But I want you to understand 
God has designed our life in such a way that there are times when weeping is part of the Christian life. And there are times when joy is part of the Christian life. And when David penned these words, I think this is a beautiful verse which he penned in the most adverse circumstance of his life. Now when you look at David's life, how David's life, you, it grew over the period of time. Now this is the graph of David's life. David's life started in the first Samuel chapter 16. And when you come to first Samuel chapter 18, David, a young teenager, probably 17 years old, he got so many greatest victories of his life. He knew how to kill a lion. He knew how to kill a bear. And he knew how to kill Goliath. So we think normally this is the best time for David to become the king. There is already a promise. David was already anointed to be the king, future king of Israel. So everything seems right. The success that David attained at a very young age and how his life, it grew. And how he prospered in his life through greatest victory and success of his life. And that's where you find how David, he went through the testing times of his life. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 21, it says like this. And David arose and fled that day for the fear of Saul. Now, wait a minute. David, who did not have the fear of the lion... David, who did not have the fear of the bear. David, who did not have the fear of Goliath. How could he fear Saul, who himself feared to Goliath? Isn't it a strange thing? How would you expect David to fear Saul, who himself trembled without going to war on Goliath? And it's quite amazing. My friends, many times our fears are quite deceptive. We think we can handle life, but somehow along the line, the fear dawns on us. And simply, it's not that we fail in the major circumstances of life, sometimes we fail in the petty things of life. And that's how our fears will become our road to defeat. And it's quite amazing to see after this fear that David had, God had to take him through the 13 years of testing in the wilderness. And then when you look into the book of Samuel, how David's life again, it grew into prosperity. You look in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David, he understood, he perceived that God has established him as a king and established his throne. Now the moment David thinks he was established in 2 Samuel chapter 6. God struck Uzzah at the ark. Now you understand, every time David sensed that he was established and he thought everything was fine, God was acting in a different way. First time when David had success, he had to go through 13 years of wilderness experience. Second time, David had success. Now, David sinned with Bathsheba. 
and he lost four sons. And now third time when David had success, when you look at the book of First Chronicles, from chapter 18 to 20, it says again, David had victory over many enemies of his life. And again, the graph went up till it came to chapter 21, where it says that David committed a sin by counting his army. That was his failure. Now, every time when David thought he was okay, whenever David thought that he was settled in life, God struck him with adversity and the times of weeping. I want you to understand in book of Psalms 30, this is what David says. Verse 6, this is the crux of David's thought. He said like this, and in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. My friends, I want you to understand. There are times where you have the victory. There are times where you have the success. Probably now, even in my personal life, when I look back, when I started my life and my career, I did not have everything. But now 20 years has passed. So many things I received in my life. I received my family. I received my sons. I received my inheritance. I received the properties, the church, ministry, everything. So we think our lives are settled. I want you to understand. This is the key area that you need to understand. Success always comes from God, but your defeat always comes from success. Success always comes from God. Prosperity always comes from God. But your defeat and your failure, it comes from your success. Because the moment things are being added to your life, the moment you are becoming prosperous, the moment you have a nice job, the moment you have a nice family, the moment you have nice home, you begin to think, I'm okay. You get this false sense of security. And David is saying like that, in my prosperity, I thought I shall never be moved. For your understanding, I want to say, the word of God says in Psalm 24, that he laid the foundations of the earth on the waters. Now, do you know, water is the most movable source. Nobody lays the foundation on the water, which is so much movable. Now, God made the earth to stand still on the foundation of the water, which is most movable. Now, I want you to understand, if God made the foundation of the earth on a movable foundation, how can you ever think in your life that you will never be moved? Is it not pride and arrogance? Our success, our prosperity always brings in pride and arrogance where we begin to think, I'm okay. I'm fine. I have whatever I need. I have everything in my life. My friends, that's where adversity steps in. That was David's experience. 
I want you to understand, there are two different scenarios of David's life. I want to place it before you. If suppose I ask you a question, of course, it's not a theological question. Because in the sight of God, every sin is sin. There's no small sin and greater sin. But for our understanding, if you think, David sinning against Bathsheba and David's sin in counting the army. Which you think is a greater sin? Which you think is a greater sin? I'm not, I'm not saying this. It is a theological question. But just for us to understand. So normally what we think? Sin with Bathsheba is a greater sin. But when you look at the word of God, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he lost four sons. But when David counted the army, 70,000 people were killed in one day. My friends, your pride and arrogance will bring more destruction than you can ever imagine. Your false sense of security and you are leaning on your own self. And when you begin to think, I am okay, I have everything I need. I have my money, I have my bank balance, I have my job, I have my property, I have my family, I have whatever I need. My friends, that's where pride and arrogance comes into our life and that will shape your defeat in life. That was David's experience. And that's how, now this one you need to understand. David says in Psalm 30, verse 3, like this, O Lord, thou hast bought up my soul from the grave. See, I want you to realize, David's experience through this entire situation was, God really brought him up again from the grave. That means the most probable situation is, the same plague which killed 70,000 people, is the same plague David should have got. If not for God's protection that day, David should have become one among the 70,000. That's what David says. Lord, if you have not shown the grace, that's how he says, Oh Lord, my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. I think many of us, we prayed through Corona the same verse. Today we are alive because God has healed us. Now what are we accomplishing for God when he gave us this life? And he heard our prayers and he healed us. David says, Lord, why do you want to kill me? If you kill me, can the dust praise you? So my request is, you keep me alive so that I can praise you. And really God honored that prayer. See, when David committed sin against God by counting the army, God gave him a choice. God said, there are three options for you, David. Now pick one among the three. Do you want your enemies to surround you? Do you want to have a famine? Or do you want the plague to kill the people? 
David was so much awestruck, he did not know what to ask God. And he said one thing. I think this is a beauty of David's understanding of who God is. David said, Lord, I don't want to fall into the hands of people because they will kill me. They don't want to show grace. But even if I sinned against you, even, even if what I did was a blunder in your sight, I still want to fall into your hands because you have grace. My friends, when it comes to God, the beauty of God's grace is even in midst of calamity, even in midst of our defeat, even in midst of the crisis that we are going through, there is always grace in midst of suffering. Because when you understand, God said, David, there are going to be three days of plague. And first day, 70,000 people were killed. Now, how did show God show grace in midst of suffering? God stopped the plague in one day. He did not make the plague to go entire three days. How it would be if corona extended for six or seven years more? You know? How much we were very much exhausted with those two years of severe problem of the plague. And God said the same plague which was designed for three days because God is gracious even in his judgment. God is gracious even in our times of suffering. God stopped the plague. And I think the highest beauty of God's sovereignty is this. The place where 70,000 people were killed because of David's sin, that was the same place which God selected to be the holy site of the temple. In that site, David's sin, he got the remission from his sin. At that site, when God built the temple, thousands of the people, they got the remission and the forgiveness of the sins. I say that is the grace in midst of suffering. May God enable us to experience his grace even in our times of adversity. I wish you don't fall into adversity thinking you're okay. But still, even if you mess up something, even in our life, we have a God who shows grace in midst of suffering. Thank you, Pastor, for this time. And may God bless you. Thank you.